Welcome to Scriptures for Life, a ministry of Trinity Evangelical Free Church in Boise, Idaho. In a troubled world riddled with endless pursuits, we have a place of peace and rest in Jesus Christ. We invite you to join us in worshiping Him and following Him in a life-transforming journey. Now, here's my friend Mark to introduce today's sermon. Good morning. Trinity Evangelical Free Church in Boise, Idaho welcomes you to our continuing series, What's It Worth? Do you have trouble giving of yourself? Ever been asked to help, like moving furniture, and found yourself torn? In today's message, we hear about how to give the treasure of your heart when Jesus calls. There's a sacrificial giving that comes with Jesus' intimate relationship. For once we are His, He is with us all the way. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And that's one of those verses that it is easier to be declared than sometimes to experience, especially if in your life you've been raised to always receive. We love our children. As we raise them up, we keep them giving them gifts upon gifts. And not many children learn how to give back. We fight against that sharing principle from the age of two. Yet Scripture has this truth which, if we live by faith, can only be experienced the joy of giving, not just declared, but the moment that you do give from whatever spectrum of your life, from your wallet to your heart to your hands, when you give, there's something that God does in return that no amount of gift can give you joy when you receive a gift, rather when you give. We've been talking about what it means What's the worth of the gift that we give the Lord Jesus? We look at these magi, these kings have been giving him gold, recognizing that he is the king of kings. The idea of giving of the treasure of your heart that costs you something. A young man was being baptized, and as he was preparing to enter the waters of baptism, the pastor was looking over, make sure that he was prepared for baptism. He saw the bulge in his pocket. He saw his wallet. He's thinking he should not get his wallet wet. He said, young man, take that wallet out. You can get it later. Nobody will take it. He goes, no, no, I need my wallet to be baptized as well as my heart. What's the value and treasure of what you give to the Lord? We saw that they brought him frankincense, this beautiful, smearing fragrance, this aroma, that he is seen as the priest, and at the same time as the lamb, that sacrifice that brings us forgiveness. We know of this account, and many of you may have heard of Father Damien back in the late 1800s. He felt God's call to go and minister in the island of Molokai islands of Hawaii, in a village of lepers. You know the story. Have you heard this account? This man gave 16 years of his life, the last five being the most precious to this group of people that were ostracized by the world. He learned to speak the language. He lived in their midst. He bandaged their wounds. He embraced the bodies that nobody was willing to touch. He preached to the hearts of those that many left behind. And we can appreciate such a sacrifice. We love these stories of people that impact society by not thinking of themselves, forgetting that that's the call of our lives, to give of yourself when there's nothing left. 
He organized schools. He built choirs and bands. He, he built homes so the lepers would have a home. He built 2,000 coffins. So when these people would die, they would die with dignity. Slowly, it was said that Kalaao, that village, was beginning to be known of a place to live rather than a place to die. Because Father Damien gave them hope. He was not careful about keeping his distance. He did nothing to separate himself from the people. He dipped his fingers in the bowls from which they ate. He drank from the same cups with them. He touched them and allowed to be touched. He bandaged their open sores, didn't wash his hands. He got close. Not an American idea. Even in church, we allow people to get close to us to a certain distance. We like our privacy. We live a comfort-filled and private Christian life. It's one of the reasons why we want to break those barriers in the life of our church. And this year we're going to begin to live outside of the church walls in our own homes. Becoming a missional church. A church that lives in the community and it's our, our own homes one to another. Not just on Sundays, but throughout the week the church will be alive as we will start this ministry of life groups. Getting to know each other better. Laughing together, crying together, binding each other's wounds together. How much do you know about the people that live or actually even in church that sit next to you? How much do you know about them? Maybe two inches out of six feet. Think about that. This man lived his life and became one of them. One day he stood up and he began his sermon with two words. We lepers. We lepers because he had become one of them even in leprosy from this day forward he wasn't just on their island he was in their skin first he chose to live as they live now he would die as they died one day God came on earth and he said we lepers do we understand that mindset? Living a Christian life has got to be messy. We must bleed one into each other's lives. For without that, there's no transformation. It's only religion. It may smell nice. It may look nice. But nobody's being delivered. Nobody's being healed. Nobody's being set free. Unless... We choose to die. We understand to worship Him by giving Him our hearts, the gold, the most important part of our lives. We understand to worship Him by becoming a beautiful fragrance and aroma of love and blessing, touching the lives of others, because we have followed Christ as a sacrifice. But today, I challenge you to worship God with a sacrificial heart. I ask you to understand that your Christian life and your Christian decision is one where you carry a cross to your death. Do we have any idea what that means? And so we step into this a couple of steps towards the cross. The first one to understand the idea of this myrrh. 
brought to Jesus as a child. And this we would call the perfume of death. Not that it smells bad, but there's a certain smell, right? When you walk into a funeral home and or, not that there's a connection to, but whenever I walk into a Catholic church, there's a certain smell that you only get there. When you walk into a funeral home, there's only a certain smell of a flower that reminds you of, it's a place of death. What is it all about when you understand that your life, you have been given life so that you would die? What does that even mean? You see, the use of myrrh, we see it used in the burial of Jesus. We see it used in the crucifixion scene. And we wonder, what does it mean now that it's being given to Jesus as a baby? And what does it have to do with your life or my life? Accepting this gift and becoming this gift for the Lord Jesus. It's a symbol of passion, suffering, burial, sacrifice. We know that myrrh exudes from these trees in Arabia. A few other places, very valuable, spice and perfume. Beautiful, specific for specific things. In Mark 15, verse 23, we see throughout the time that Jesus was dying on the cross, they offered him to drink two different times. The first time they offered him this mixture of wine and myrrh. Mark 15, 23, and they tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And you ask the question, why? We believe that, and the theologians believe that this, this myrrh mixed with wine was an anesthetic. would help you withstand the pain. It would knock you out just, just enough so that suffering would not be so unbearable. So you would live dying on the cross for more hours than you wanted to. But the Lord rejected that anesthetic so he would feel the complete suffering of our sin. The second time they offered him just wine, that time he accepted it. Because that wine by itself would have awakened his senses, awakened his mind, and he wanted to maintain and stay alive until the moment he would give it up to suffer for your sins and mine. And immediately one of them ran, taking a sponge, he filled it with sour wine, kind of like vinegar, wake you up. And put it on a reed and gave him to drink. You see, not just in that point, but myrrh, as we mentioned, is an embalming fluid. We, we know of Nicodemus going with a hundred pounds of myrrh and aloes and spices to the tomb to prepare the body. By any human measure, it would be very odd, if not offensive, to bring to a newborn child as a gift, myrrh. Yeah, we could translate in so many ways, giving somebody on their birthday a gift that would remind them of something ominous, uh, death or separation. It wouldn't make sense. But in this case, is it possible? It was not that the Magi thought this out, probably, but it was within the purview of God's plan that this would be a prophetic sign. That this king, this priest, the lamb that would take the sin of the world came amongst us to die. 
What does that look like? We know this prophecy came to us from ages through Scripture. Turn with me to Psalm 22, verse 14. Written a thousand years before Jesus was born. Five hundred years before the Phoenicians showed up and invented crucifixion. When David wrote this, they did not know of this mode of dying. A prophecy. I am poured out like water. And all my bones are out of joint. Imagine that moment is the one that is punished with this death. He would fall and try to hang on as his shoulders would pop out. Joints would be stretched. All my bones are of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaves to my jaws. I'm thirsty, he cried out. And you lay me in the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me as they walked around and laughed and said, He saved others. Let him save himself. Come down from the cross and we'll believe you. These dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers have encompassed me. The thief on the other side would say, Oh, you've got the power. Why don't you save yourself and save us? They pierced my hands and my feet. I count all my bones. They look, they stare, they divide my garments among them. There were the Roman soldiers with with the one piece of clothing the Lord Jesus wore, and they would not rip it because it was a fine cloth, fine linen, valuable, and they were casting dice to see which one would get it. There it is. A thousand years, God wrote it down, and for my clothing they cast lots. Why? So much death and suffering. Not just why. Why don't you and I remember that valuable, costly price that Jesus paid so you and I would be forgiven, so you and I would not bear that guilt? The smell of death. For we do not have a high priest, Hebrews 4.15, who cannot sympathize with our weakness. He understands. He knows the struggle. He knows the pain. He knows the battle. I want to, I won't, but I need to. No, I shouldn't. Oh, Lord, help me. He knows that struggle. One that has been tempted in all things like we are, yet without sin. William Barclay, the theologian, when he looks at these gifts given to Jesus, he says, gold for a king, frankincense for a priest, myrrh for one who was to die. These were the gifts of the wise man. Even at the cradle of Christ, they foretold that he was to be the true king, the high priest. And in the end, the supreme savior of men. How does that change our lives? What decisions am I making today understanding what the Lord Jesus suffered, knowing from the beginning of eternity what it would take to bring us back to the Father? To give us the forgiveness. To invite us to have abundant life. How does that change my life? Let's look at it just a little bit on the second step. Through the purview of God's eyes. As God the Father looks at the sacrifice that must be done. Did Jesus have to die? Was there no other way? 
Yes, he did. Holiness, judgment, destruction, the cross, the blood, forgiveness, holiness. He had to die. He chose to die. Here's the Father's purview of the Lord's sacrifice. Matthew 26, 39. Even Jesus asked, Father, is there no other way? How could the all-knowing, omniscient, all-powerful Son look at the Father, having discussed and planned this from eternity? Now He comes back as a man, being tempted, suffering what God never knew as a man. Is it possible? And he went a little beyond them, fell on his face, and he prayed, saying, My Father, it's not Yahweh, it's not Lord Adonai, it's not God, my God, your God is Father, Abba. The Son is crying out to Daddy. Is it possible? Let this cup pass from me. And then the divine mindset steps in, yet not as I will, but as you will. Remember when he prayed, looking at the shadow of the cross, waiting for him. Remembering the love that he has given the disciples. Remembering the life he has given the people around him. Remembering the Father sending him. Remembering Peter saying, you are the Son of God. All of these come into the prayer. In John 17 says, now Father glorify me together with yourself. Is there any way to bypass this? Glorify me with the glory which I had with you before the world began. Before they would mock him and slap him and curse him and strike him. He says, I remember that glory. Myrrh, death. And yet people said, Lord, what do you live? We want to follow you. And he says, listen, you want to follow me? You have no idea what you're asking. I have no place, no stone to place my, my head upon. I left it all. What a strike. What a, what a hit against the modern idea of Christianity. Bigger homes, better cars, looking good, heavy in our wallets. Because God blesses. God's blessing, if we truly knew what it means to be glorified with that glory, we would understand the freedom that the death of the cross brings. And if that leaves you confused, it should. Was there no other way? No, there was not. And you've got to, got to find the answer. Why was there no other way? Hebrews 9.11 gives us a glimpse into the, the, the prophetic presentation, proclamation, and the need and the glory of that death to which you and I are called to live. If any man wants to follow me, You've got to pick up your cross, not wear it on your chest or pin to your ears or hanging from your car mirror. That cross means you are ready to die. And yet that's when you're going to live, truly. Hebrews 9.11 says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest 
for the good things to come. He entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle made not with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through His own blood. I tear down the temple, and in three days I will build it back up through His own life. That's the tabernacle. That is what God is pleased with. He entered the holy places once and for all. Why? Having obtained eternal redemption, the only way, the only place, the only price that is worthy and able to redeem you from the sin of your life is the death of Jesus, the fragrance of death. For if by the blood of goats and bulls And the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works. Understand the mystery and the secret we're stepping into the next step, that there's no freedom from your sin unless you die. You crucify the flesh. And I'm not talking about a physical death. That's the easy way out. Paul says, I die daily. What do you mean? And for this reason, he's the mediator of a new covenant. So that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the trespasses that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called... That's you and I, those who have been called, all his children may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. The glory of the death that gives life. Satan tells you, no, don't do it. Don't give it up. You're going to lose it all. You won't have nothing left. Don't make that decision. You're not going to live life anymore. And he is lying. As the Lord says, come to me, my yoke is easy. Crucifying the flesh will actually breathe life into your soul. There's a story of a little boy watching people worshiping the Lord through offering. People would come up and they would have these weaved baskets and they would put the the, the money in there at the time of offering. But he had no money. He was too young, but he understood and and he felt convicted. He wanted to give something to God. And in his little mind, as you've seen children, right, out of the blue, they come up with things that would blow your mind of of how smart they really are. And in his conviction, after everyone went up and they they put the money in, in the baskets, he went, he found one that was not as full, And he sat cross-legged right in the middle of the basket. One of the deacons real quick came up and said, You can't do that, son. That's holy offering before God. And the little boy said, I've got nothing to give the Lord but myself. That's the one thing we don't want to give. We compartmentalize our life like a submarine. We give God that room and seal the rest off. To do what we want, when we want, to think how we want, judge who we want. Forgive and not forgive the way we choose. But not so with a person that accepts his condemnation to death. When we look at this gift of myrrh and the Lord Jesus being sacrificed, we see that it's a sacrifice of love. Submission to the Father in that love of the Son, but love for you and I by name. For before the world was created, He knew you. Before you were born, He had formed you. 
And he loved you and said, I will give my life. I will die so that they may live. A sacrifice of love, a sacrifice of devotion. When you accept Jesus as Savior, you've accepted a standard and a goal of Christ himself. We have a great promise and purpose in Jesus. A new life infuses itself in who and what we are. Jesus, you've come to give us an abundant life of blessing. You know how we struggle for a fulfilled life. Yet because you paid the price for my sin, I am made new to discover what sacrificial love, forgiveness, and thanksgiving mean. Amen. Thank you for listening to Scriptures for Life, a ministry of Trinity Evangelical Free Church in Boise, Idaho. For more information about our church, visit us online at trinityefcboise.org or by phone 208-322-8801. Our church is located at 1777 North Allenbaugh Street in Boise. We'd love for you to join us for Sunday worship at 11 a.m. Join us next week at this time as we go through and apply God's Word on Scriptures for Life.